Welcome to the Insight Podcast. Today, my guest is Richard Newman. Richard is a speaker, a coach, and the author of Lift Your Impact, a book to help you elevate your work, team, and life by transforming your mindset, influence, and future. I talked to Richard about how you can get clear on your values so you're ready to have a positive impact on the world, how to create a vision for yourself, reach your potential, and become the person you want to be in 10 years' time. Overcoming fear and anxiety around public speaking, and much more. Enjoy the episode. So are you proud of the impact that you're having on people and that you've had on people, perhaps both professionally and personally? Yeah, it's it's a great question. It's one where, you know, I'm I'm the kind of person where every day I'm always striving to be better than I was the day before. I'm always thinking, well, how could I increase my impact? You know, what sort of impact am I having on the world uh, right now? What impact would I love to have 10 years from now? How can I move forward uh, in that? And I think it's important also to look back and to realize uh, how far you've come. Actually, I did a post on this uh, recently uh, with the, the, I think, the well-known quote, I didn't come this far to only come this far. And that quote's been really useful for me in the last couple of years where I've been thinking about, you know, where is my, where's my business, my writing, my general impact, where am I now and where would I like to be? But just taking a moment to look back on what I've done so far, which, which, I, which I did when I was creating uh, my new book, is just look, well, who, who have I impacted so far? And I do feel immensely proud when I look back and I realize that the business that I've built today, it was only ever supposed to be, it was just a hobby that, that, I, that I was doing uh, in my part-time where uh, I, was, I was auditioning as an actor, I was, um, you know, I was working as a waiter, and then my hairdresser said to me, hey, why don't you, you know, come and uh, for, for free, for, for a free haircut, uh, you know, just train some people on some communication skills because you've got this background knowledge around this stuff from the things that you've been doing. And I thought, wow, that's fun. And I went and did it as a bit of a hobby. And to, to know that that's grown from where I was then to having trained 120,000 people through my work, to know that we get 2,000 bookings per year for our team, it's just extraordinary. And it's it's sometimes you know, occasionally I'll have days where I just sort of take it for granted and think, yeah, but when, how can we get to a million people and so on? So it's, it's nice to sometimes look back and think, wow, there's so many people that we have impacted uh, through me directly or through the team that I've built and through like the, the clients and the stakeholders and the suppliers that rely on us, the sort of ecosystem that is built up around our business based on what we do. That, yeah, I do feel immensely proud that I have pursued that, that I've followed a passion and always with my business, it's been about, you know, how do I, how do I help the person that's in front of me right now? How do I help them find their voice? And to see, you know, occasionally we get stories from people who uh, have come on a workshop with us where we hear how it's not just changed their life professionally, but it's also changed their life personally and it's improved mm. their relationship with their kids, their family and so on. And for that, I just feel immensely grateful of thinking, wow, you know, something that was a hobby has built into that and it's all come out, out of that sense of, of service. And then to talk about, you know, am I proud of my impact? Personally, uh, you know, I've got two young kids and I think, I think many parents go through this. I hear a lot of people talk about this where they just think on a daily basis, I realize my limitations and I wish I could do better. <laughs> um, so, so I think it's, you know, it's also a challenge for parents not to be too hard on themselves, 
But, you know, I look at these brilliant, beautiful beings that, that my wife and I are raising. And I do feel incredibly proud of who they are as humans and for any, any slight impact that I've made, influence I've made on shaping them into the brilliant people they are, then, you know, I, I am very proud of that. Beautiful, beautiful. And you're a bit of a power couple, aren't you? Your, your wife is Gemma Newman, the plant, is the plant power doctor? Is that her handle? Oh, power doctor, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, and what I'm sensing is that the impact that you're talking about is, is very much those kind of more meaningful um, measures of success, perhaps the, the happiness and the purpose, the values, the vision, all, all this stuff, rather than, you know, you didn't say, well, I took a company from earning X amount in one year to X amount in another year, or an individual mm. grew his business by some whatever X amount. It was all about the relationships and the impact that you're having on, in, on them in the moment, which is yeah. awesome to hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that that's that's really what it comes down to because it, it's it's one of those things as a business owner that yes, you do need to look at are we are we profitable? Are you know are we going to be able to pay the payroll? And particularly the last few years, which hit us, uh, hit our industry very hard. Of you know, uh, live events had to be cancelled, which is all that we did uh, twenty nineteen and before that. We had to shift things around and I had to get very serious about looking at the numbers every month and understanding what money's coming in, what do we need, what taxes are we going to be paying and so on. Just, uh, you know, I've, I've always paid attention to it, but I've had to learn uh, to pay closer attention to where we are. And occasionally I do have to sit back and think, you know, it's, it's nice that we're hitting these numbers and it's nice that we have this percentage of growth, but how many people did we help? And when we're in that room and, you know, being paid well to, to work with people, what impact did we make? on those individuals. And that's always the bit that matters to me is, you know, if I come off a stage in front of a large group or if I've been working with just a, a small handful of people, I always walk away thinking, you know, how is that person's life going to be different? What, you know, what were the aha moments for them? What was, the, what was the big breakthrough? Because I want to take more of that to the next people that I work with. And that's always what it's been about for me. And I, th I think mm -hmm. that if it was just about numbers, then I would have gone into banking. You know, I was always good at, uh, <laughs> I was always good at maths. And my parents always said, you know, go follow the maths, go be an accountant or something. Um, but it, I could never, I could never go in that direction. It was always going to be about, you know, what service can I bring to the world? How can I help others? And that's, you know, it's fundamentally how, how I measure, um, you know, what, what success really is, uh, in my life. Yeah. And now you've released your book, Lift Your Impact, which came out this year, didn't it? Very recently. Yeah. Um, it just came out about a month ago. Yeah. And so what, what does impact mean to you? What does having a positive impact mean? Is it what we've already talked about? Is it the relationships? Is it the, the happiness of people, their, their well-being? I don't know. What, what exactly does impact mean to you? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, to look at it at a really simple level, if you think about every interaction that you have, it's worthwhile thinking, what is the legacy of all of your interactions? So from a moment that you, you meet anybody, personally or professionally, you can think of impact like this that when you leave that room, have you moved people from a negative uh, or a neutral state to a more positive state? Is that what your impact is? Uh, or based on you interacting with those people, do they move from a positive state to now a negative state? Uh, so you know, on a very simple level, that's, that's where I see that sense of uh, impact. And you know, people say that a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. That's what your sort of mm. personal brand is. Uh, and if you think about it, your, your impact is what is the feeling that is left after you've been in that room? And, and look, you know, sometimes it's important to know that as a leader, 
that you need to go and speak to people who might be feeling jubilant and get them to a place where they feel disappointed because they need to recalibrate how they see a situation and mm-hmm. suddenly think, oh, I didn't, I, I'd never thought of it that way. I do now feel disappointed in myself and therefore I need to make a shift. And so, but, it, but you're doing that for a full sort of positive intention. It's always about, you know, how do we, how do we make the world better? How do we think about the long arc of history and bend it towards a greater day as, as that phrase goes? And so uh, I think it's important when you think about impact that it's not always short term. Can I make this person smile? I saw a nice <laughs> quote now uh, recently, and I, I forget who said it. It was somebody famous said, um, if you want to be liked, sell ice cream. Um, so, but if you're going to be a leader, just expect that's not going to always happen. And I think that's true that if you think as, uh, you know, my position of leading a, a business and decisions that I need to make that, um, my impact, uh, like immediately in the moment of a conversation, people might leave and think, um, oh, that was, that was hard. That was a tough mm. conversation. But if you're aiming towards, you know, a positive space 10 years from now, and that is part of that journey, then sometimes that needs to happen. So for me, it's always about the longer arc. Uh, you know, it, sometimes you have to go through a painful conversation to get to, to a, a better horizon. So yeah, in terms of, of impact, people can think about it. What is the impact that I have right now? But what does that lead to? What is the impact long term? And so to give you one sort of simple example of this is that my hairdresser, who I mentioned earlier, when he was cutting my hair and he's just chatting to me and he said to me, I think that you could teach communication. I really do. I'll give you a free haircut. Come back next week and teach my team. He didn't know what the overall impact of that was. He just knew that in the moment, he'd seen something in me that I didn't know I had and offered me an opportunity. That was all that it had. But if he hadn't done that, I never would have trained or my team wouldn't have trained 120,000 people over the last 23 years. So you, you never know sometimes that that one small moment of seeing something in somebody else and giving them an opportunity, the ripple effect that could go on for many, many years. And also I reflect back when I was sort of 17 going on 18 years old, there was a guy who decided to give up his own free time. He came back to our school and uh, he said, Hey everyone, I left this school a couple of years ago. Uh, and instead of going to university, I went to uh, work in a, an orphanage in Kathmandu, and you might want to do something the same as that. If he hadn't done that talk, I was going to university, and I probably would have gone on and done accountancy and so on. But I listened to his talk, and I thought, that's the sort of life I want to have. And so I decided I would go and live in a Tibetan monastery in the foothills of the Himalayas and teach English for six months, which, which shifted my life in a new direction, which led me to the conversation with my hairdresser, which led to me where I am uh, today, because he just chose to do it out of his own sort of spirit of giving back to people. So I'd always say, you know, act with great intentions towards others. You'll never know what the long-term legacy, the long-term impact of those actions and conversations might be. Yeah, that butterfly effect. So hopefully it yeah. inspires people to think like, just just don't hesitate. Like if that thought pops into your head where you could say that kind thing to a friend, family member or a colleague, just say it because who knows what impact it would have on them in, in 10 years time. Yeah. I think Absolutely. it's interesting what you said as well about, um, you know, people that attend a talk or something or work with you might leave feeling a bit despondent, but I suppose it's a bit like raising children, isn't it? We have to be a bit tough at times, a bit of discipline, yeah. um, showing them the boundaries but from a place of love because you know that that's what's going to serve them best in, you know, into their later childhood and into adulthood. Yeah. I mean, so I'm sure this you, is something that you, you'd come across on a daily basis as a uh, sort of a primary uh, teacher that, so, you know, sometimes you've got to be serious 
and yeah. it, it can't all be you know uh, jumping around uh, it has to have sometimes have that but but based on you giving that sense of seriousness in a conversation to someone it might just sort of shift them their behavior in a direction that serves them really well for decades to come yeah but i i struggle with it sometimes though and i don't know if you do as well the the, the, you only replay the the kind of the negatives, don't you? You only go back over. Oh, should I have said it like this? Should I have done it like that? You don't go over the. Oh, that was a fantastic session. That was a fantastic lesson. Fantastic interaction. Whatever it is, you just focus on the one where you think. Oh, was I a bit too like harsh? Then was I a bit too rigid? And, and could I have said that in a, I don't know, a more relaxed, happy way? But. I don't know. How, how, how do you gather you know, that? I, this is something that I caught myself doing. It was about, I want to say somewhere between 15 to 18 years ago, I caught myself doing exactly that, where I would finish an event that I was running and I'd just go back over. I don't think this worked. And I think that activity could have mm. been better. And I thought, hang on a second, there were definitely some good moments there. And like, I've got feedback forms of people saying, I loved this. And I thought, I have to stop doing that because otherwise I'm just going to show up yeah. stressed to every event that I run. So now what I actually do is exactly what you were sort of mentioning there. Uh, if I come off stage at an event or I sort of leave a room with some delegates, maybe I'm driving home, I always purposefully, for the first sort of five to 10 minutes, I think back through everything that went well. And I generally play, if I'm in the car, uh, I play music that I really like as a mini celebration of the positive impact that happened. And I'll think back and go, oh yeah, when I did this activity, I got that reaction from someone in the second row. That was good. That really lit them up. And when I did this piece, that person was laughing. So I'll build that into the next piece. And I'm, I'm celebrating those moments of, of impact. And then once I've done that, I also do the other bit. I also think, right. okay, be honest with yourself, Richard, where could you have done this better? What was a moment that just didn't land? Where was a slide that you were showing that just didn't seem to resonate with people where you thought that it would? And then I will go back and re-edit what I'm doing and, and aim to apply it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, though, I do that better in my professional life than I do personally because <laughs> on, in the personal level, like you know, things can be going well as a parent. And then I'll do something. There's an interaction where I think, oh, that could have gone better. I really, I need to go and fix that. Uh, but I don't tend to think, I did a really good parenting job there. Uh, like I sort of rarely do those moments. Occasionally I will, but I need to, I need to get better at that. Yeah, you do. And I think we all do, don't we? Uh, I wonder if there's any kind of like um, comparison we can make with, I don't, have you seen about that study where they looked at married couples and they'd walk into a room and kind of, watch their interaction and they uh, kind of, I think, take note of the ratio between positive and negative remarks. And they say that in a couple, you want to be aiming for that five to one ratio. You should be saying five positive things for every one negative thing. So I wonder what your ratio mm. is after a talk or something. Are you, are you focusing on at least five different uh, things that went really well and just that one negative or is it a bit uh, unbalanced? Because <laughs> I think for me, it's definitely perhaps five to one the opposite way, actually. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a great ratio to look at actually. And, um, it, it, importantly, going back to what you mentioned about, you know, married couples together, the piece that stood out for me years ago that I looked at, I wish I don't know if it's the same study is that they noticed that the, the couples that were most likely to get divorced had contempt for each other yes, in yeah. their words yeah. or in like eye rolling or the behavior or something like that. And so, you know, that can apply to divorce. It can also apply to how you treat yourself. If you, if you leave a meeting, an interview, a sales pitch or whatever it is, and you have contempt for what you did, then, you know, how likely are you to be in a good state with yourself when you go into the next situation? So, I mean, I think that I've got to the point where, um, I, I maybe have a one-to-one -one ratio on these bits <laughs> well. 
this bit could go uh this bit could go better but uh yeah i love that advice the five to one ratio i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on that in future (laughs) so through the book through your work you want to have an impact on others and you want to people to do that by lifting their values lifting their vision their potential their momentum and more so where do i start how can I start having an impact on others? And that is, is it values that I need to start with? Do I need to calibrate my inner compass, as you call it? Do I need to get that sorted, my values first, before I can mm. then move forward? Yes. So, so this was the, the process of putting this book together was to really help people with that sense. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I wrote this with the mindset of sort of 2020 onwards, where are we now versus where we were as people before uh, everything that happened in the pandemic. And uh, what I realized is that on a personal level, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was hugely challenging for me to keep, you know, make sure that my business was running well, that I was looking after people. Uh, and so I, I was... I was thinking, what, what do I need to do fundamentally to make sure that I am of greatest service to other people? Because, you know, I think a lot of people during the pandemic, there was lots of people who started day drinking or like w- binge watching uh, Netflix during the day because they thought, well, there's nothing else I can do. You know, what else am I going to do? Let's just wait for the lockdowns to finish. And I was in a position of responsibility where I, I just knew that I couldn't do that because it would be catastro- catastrophic for people around me. And there's various other stresses that I was dealing with. So I thought, where do I need to start to be the best? version of me to lift my company, lift our clients and uh, be a positive impact during this challenging time. And uh, what I what I realized then and what we've worked on with clients uh, ever since then is that firstly, you have to start with you before you go into a meeting, a conversation, whether it's personal life or professional life, you've got to start before you go into that room or pick up the phone with you. And you've got to start by um, get into a place where you can be a rock in the storm. Because, you know, if we're thinking about having a positive impact on others, it's probably quite likely because, you know, maybe there's a frayed relationship or there's a challenging conversation that's coming up. So you've got to get to be the best version of you first. And to do that, this, um, I found, starts with your values. And the reason being, there was, there was a nice study that was done on this uh, back in uh, 2015, I believe it was, by uh, Cresswell and Sherman in Germany. They did a series of uh, tests uh, based on the uh, triasocial stress test protocol. Uh, and essentially, one of the pieces that came out of it is that they found that when you're preparing for a potentially stressful event, if you focus on your values, then you are more likely to come at that event from a place of internal validation, feeling proud of who you are, feeling grounded in who you really are. And then you sail through that event being the best version of you. Whereas if people are not doing that, they're looking for external validation. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, t- to take that uh, route, so many people are doing that these days, and we're aware of it, that people are uh, you know, if they're feeling bad or they're not sure what to do or they're they're worried about an upcoming event, they think, let me just distract myself by going on uh, social media. And then they're sort of looking at different people living these wonderful, glamorous lives, thinking, oh, maybe I should be more like them. And then they might put a post up on social media and think, I really hope that people like it and I hope they comment on it. And that leads you seeking external validation, which creates more stress rather than um, more more pride or fulfillment. And so if you can start by looking at what your values really are, it brings you back to alignment with who you want to be. It gives you a sense of inner validation and pride. And it also helps before you start setting a vision or setting out goals, it just gives you that sense of guidance and direction that comes from within. Because if you start off with setting out goals, you might think, okay, I want to be 
a uh, financial director, or I want to be an entrepreneur, or I want to be married with a, a big house and a white picket fence, which all of which could be influenced from family telling you what you should do, or you've watched a Disney movie that seemed to say happiness means that life looks like this. Uh, and so if we set up our goals based on where our frame of reference is from you know, past events, we may head in the wrong direction. We may even get there and think, I spent 20 years building towards this and it feels empty. And I don't really know why, because it wasn't actually something you wanted that came from within. It came from without. So by starting off with your values, the way to do this is that we all have something like you know, 30 or 40 values or principles that we want to live by that might crop up now and again based on the sort of decision that we're making. Um, but out of those, you can choose a top three. And the reason I talk about a top three is it's easy for people to remember. And you can then prioritize those and think right now in my life, those ones feel so important to me. You can feel them on a heart level, a gut level. That's uh, what you want. And principles could be along the lines of putting family first, uh, doing things with a sense of integrity, anything along those lines that resonate with people. I've heard a few people recently say one of their values was, uh, what would grandma do? Because they just really were so inspired by the way that she lived her life. They want to be more like that themselves and so on. So you work out what those top three values are. And then if you focus on those, you can then think, well, why do they matter to me and how have they guided my life? And if you do that for about 15 minutes, you then can get to a place where you feel really proud of yourself, centered in yourself and ready to then go forwards and lift your impact on others as you go through your day, feeling balanced, centered, grounded in the best version of you. And it doesn't mean that you're going to act perfectly, but you're more likely to act with a state of clarity and calm and confidence in your decisions because they're coming from that place. And what it gives you is uh, what I call this sort of um, true north compass, where you think, okay, if I want to live a life that I'm proud of, my values are pointing me in this direction and that's direction that I'm going to go in. And so when tough decisions come up, I think, well, are they aligned with my values? Will it take me in this direction or not? And so it makes it easier to make those hard decisions. Uh, and so if you want to make a great impact too, if you're living in alignment with those values, then you can think, okay, this is the direction that I want to go in. This is the person I want to be. And inevitably it gives you the impact on others that you would like to have long-term. Yeah. And how do we keep those values kind of front and center throughout the day? I might sit down now and spend that 15 minutes getting really clear on my values, but I could forget them in a month, couldn't I? So how do I yeah. keep coming back to them? Is it that I've, I write them down and just one, once a week create a little time to make sure I keep revisiting, keep them, or should I get them tattooed on my arm? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? It's funny that you say that. Uh, a friend of mine has got one of her values tattooed on her arms. <laughs> she sees that all the time. I think that's quite a popular nice. one. Uh, but the, the route that I advise is, so firstly, like spend that 15 minutes, get really associated with those values. And for some people, they might need to spend multiple times journaling about it before they come up with their current top three. And you should also know that they will change uh, over time. If you keep mm -hmm. reflecting on them, you might think, okay, those are my values, but right now another one needs to come into the mix. But to keep them front of mind day to day, uh, what's valuable to do is sort of two things. Firstly, have a code word for those values that makes them more meaningful for you. So rather than just saying, for example, one of my values used to be to be a good father. But that, that it's just a value that I've always had. I, I've always felt that that was something that was important to me. But you can't measure it. There's no KPIs to hit. The, the, you know, and different people are going to have different ways of looking at. Well, what does that mean to be a good parent? So uh, when when um, when my kids were younger, they invented this game called polar bears. 
which we still occasionally play today, but it's harder because they're bigger and they're, they weigh more. But basically, <laughs> I get down on the floor on all fours. One of them goes underneath me. One of them goes on my back. And we patrol around, uh, imagining that we are sort of searching for food and we're looking for shelter. And I'm helping them connect with each other, learn life skills and so on, providing for them, being present and playful with them. And it's everything I think about when I think that's the kind of father I want to be. And so to connect myself more readily, more emotionally to my value of being a good father, I think polar bears. And it instantly connects me to that. So once people have worked out their values, if you work out code words for each of them that really help you resonate with them, you can then put them on post-it notes. And you can put a post-it note, say, for example, uh, on your phone or even change your phone home screen to those values because people tend to look yeah. at their phones first thing in the morning or put a post-it note on top of the phone or next to your bed that shows those three code words. So you wake up in the morning, you instantly think about them and think that's the person I'm going to be. You can put one of those post-it notes next to your webcam as well so that before an important meeting, during an important meeting, you can remember and come back to them. And if you put them on the home screen of your phone, the number of times we open our phone on a daily basis is like 20, 30, 40 times. Uh, and so you can continually be reminded uh, of them uh, in that process. Uh, or you can have an, a photo of one of the values, if you like, an image that represents one. So you're constantly reminded of that. So uh, for example, on, on my phone, I have a picture of, of my kids that always reminds me, that's my top value. That's where my decision is yeah. coming from. Uh, so yeah, you want to, like you say, you do want to be reminded of them on a regular basis. I like that so much. And, you know, I've spoken to um, people with a, a similar approaches to life, similar profession to you in that they are working on the coaching space, the author space, the self-help space, whatever it is. Um, but that's the first time I've heard that. And so I always loved hearing some, I always love hearing something completely unique. Um, so I love the code word. I love how you talk about how you can just keep it front and center throughout. And I'm just trying to think mm. what my code word would be, but um, I'll come back to you on that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes it takes a little while. Like one of my code yeah. words, it took me uh, it took me like a couple of years to come up with one of the code words because one of my values is inspire and empower my clients. And it wasn't until I spoke at an event and I came off the stage and like the audience was all really happy. And so when I came off the stage, one of the other speakers came up to me and said, Richard, you just gave this room some oxygen. And I thought, oh, that's a really good word. What if I have that for inspire and empower my clients? That finally really resonates. So it took ages to get there. So I'd say to people, don't panic if you don't come up with the code words immediately. Like it might take a little bit of time. Yeah. And so then what's next? I'm, I'm clear on my values. I've got my code word. It's on my, the, the home screen of my phone. What next? Yeah. So, so, so the next piece, once you've got those values in place, it's, uh, it gives you greater clarity on thinking about the road ahead. I'm thinking about well, where where do I want life to take me in a way that will be meaningful and fulfilling? And so uh, this is where I, I talk in the book about the hero's journey, which a lot of people I think are familiar of. They may, they're familiar with, they may have heard of it. So Joseph Campbell back in uh, the 1950s was a researcher and a mythologist. And he looked at the way that human beings have told stories throughout thousands of years, looking at civilizations that never had any contact with each other and realized that they told stories with the same structure because that's how the human mind wants to process information and wants to process our life experience. And so he put it into this hero's uh, journey. And I've sort of boiled that down for clients to go from 17 stages, which he talks about. And I've, I've brought it down to about five stages because it's easier for people to go through. And so what you can do is that you can use this idea idea of the hero's journey, which is a meaningful, fulfilling journey through life uh, and a, a journey through which you grow, you evolve and you become more of yourself is the idea. 
And if you do that, if you create what you think, you know, you want your life vision to be without your values, it can go in the wrong direction. But if you start with values and think, this is who I am proud of being right now, that's what I want to guide my life. You can then, first of all, look at, well, where am I honestly right now? You know, a lot of people start off with goal setting going, I want to be in 10 years, a, you know, uh, an Uber billionaire with, uh, you know, 10 Ferraris and all these sorts of things. And uh, it's just, it's way off in the future. And it's this big ideal that's based maybe not off what they want to have, rather than thinking, where am I actually right now? The other thing I also say to people on this is when I say to people, you know, tell me about your, your current challenges and where you want to be. Some people do the opposite and they say, well, the thing is, Richard, 10 years ago, this terrible, challenging thing happened to me. And I'll say to them, well, thank you for sharing that with me. Sorry, where are you right now in your life? And they'll go, well, the thing is, Richard, five years ago, I had this, this other challenge that was going on in my life. And, uh, you know, I really want to get past that. And I say to them, well, thank you again for sharing that. Where are you right now? And they go, well, the thing is, last year, this thing happened to me. And I say, thank you for sharing. Where are you right now? And they go, oh, now. Well, now, actually, I'm not dealing with those things. But right now, this is where I am. So I always say to people, start where you are. <laughs> right? If you yeah. want to get direct from where you want to go in your life, start where you are right now and be really honest. Once you've aligned yourself thinking, I know what my values are, then think to yourself, well, what are my, what are my cha challenges? Where am I living out of alignment with my values right now? Uh, so if I'm true to myself thinking these are the values I must have, where am I not fulfilling that? So, so I'll give an example of you know, me before the, uh, the pandemic. My, my number one priority in life is to be a good father. And I was spending three days a week in hotel rooms anywhere around the world and coming home and being jet lagged. That's not in alignment with those values of being there for my children. And I started to realize that uh, they were missing me during the week. And then they were missing out on the best parts of me on the weekend because I was just recovering essentially from the week and, and the job that I was doing. And so I had to be honest with myself and say, right now, I am not prioritizing them. I, you know, I'm trying to be the best version of me that I can when I happen to be there, but it's not there. And so I've had to rebalance my life around uh, traveling occasionally to, to make, make sure that my, my purpose in my work is still there, giving the oxygen to people, but spending a lot more time at home, making sure I hug them in the morning, I hug them in the evening, I'm here for them on that day-to-day -day basis whenever I can be. So, so current challenges, you look at your current challenges, where are you out of alignment with your values? And here's the, the key to that piece too. Sometimes people go, well, you know, things are all right right now. They're, they're kind of okay. There's this thing over here that I don't really like, which is not great, but it, it's, it's fine. It's fine for now. So I always say, if you think about your current challenges, imagine that you were living out of alignment with your values for the next 10 years. You know, what goes wrong? If you keep going on the path that you're on right now, where is that going to take you? And so for me, going back to 2019, if I spent three nights in a hotel room uh, somewhere around the world and was jet lagged for the next 10 years, my children would have left home and I, I wouldn't really have seen them. And I'd be living with re regret thinking I I've just now missed out on actually the time period where I could most you know, be of influence, uh, positive influence as a father. So if it's not feeling like you know, there's a challenge for you right now, think about the future. Once you've done that, mm -hmm. you can then think, great, I know where I am right now. Based on following my values, where would I like to be? A year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, what is the inevitability? If I follow this true north compass, where does that take me to? And you can dream about what that might be. And then uh, the next part of that uh, vision process is to think, okay, there's a journey to go on. I'm where I am now. There's a place I'd love to be in the future. What is the journey between here and, uh, and that place? And to go back to Joseph Campbell, he always said, the journey is the point. Uh, or he said it in his own sort of wording around that. But the journey from where you are now to where you want to be is the point. Even if you don't get there, 
even if you don't manage to. And we see this many times in stories where, you know, that the aim is for the person to, uh, you know, overcome the alien battleship or whatever it is uh, that they're aiming to do at the end. And maybe they don't get there, but they transform as a person. They become a greater version of themselves because they chose to take that journey. And that's why starting off with this true north compass of your values is so important because even if you take five steps in that direction, you are a greater version of yourself because you went on that journey. Uh, and so that's what I ask people to do. You start with your values, you then think, what is this vision? And it creates a compelling vision for you that can take you out of, it certainly helped me get moving from a place of feeling stuck, feeling depressed, feeling I don't know how to go forwards to thinking I'm proud of myself. I see a vision and I'm inspired to step forwards towards it uh, every day. So that's really like the second step after values. Yeah. Love it. That um, enjoying the process part, you know, hiking up a mountain. Yes, you might not get to the top, but there's so much enjoyment you can take from just the hike, isn't it? Even if you get halfway yeah. up, enjoy the process. And there's so many different parts of our lives that we can apply that to. And yeah. as going back to what you were saying before about the kind of imagining yourself in the future, and it makes me think about how some people might listen to this and think, oh, it just sounds like so much work. I've got to get my vision, uh, I've got to get my value straight, and then I've got to um, envision it as well. And I, I need to, there's just so many parts that I've got to get right. And it's mm. like you said, well, Yes, it might be a lot of work now, but if, if you don't, what could be really helpful is imagining yourself in five years, 10, 10 years, if you don't make a decision now, and if you just keep going with the flow now, just repeating those old habits, destructive habits, mm. maybe, that what will it look like in five or 10 years time? And, and that can, I think, yeah. be so motivating for people, can't it? To get out of a rut and think, yes, it's going to take a bit of effort and it might be a bit painful. It's going to take some work, but it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, I mean, a, a phrase that um, I like to share with people sometimes that s sums that up is that, uh, you know, you can think of this as short-term pain that creates long-term gain. Whereas mm -hmm. what most people tend to do in life is they have short-term gain that leads to long-term pain. Uh, and so, you know, if you look at how people tend to distract themselves from their problems, they think, okay, I'm not happy with where I am right now, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to go and uh, eat badly because I feel like it. I'm then going to uh, sit on the couch and watch TV or scroll through social media for a few hours because I just want to distract myself from the fact that things are not going well. I'm mm -hmm. not going to speak to my partner uh, or I, you know, I'm not going to engage positively in my relationships because I just don't feel like it. I feel like shutting the door and just doing this. And in the short term, you can get a bit of a hit of good feelings thinking, wow, I just ate a bucket of ice cream. That's fantastic. That makes me feel really alive. And I watched a superhero movie and that was really fantastic. Or I watched a movie that I've seen a thousand times and I always get a good feeling but you haven't dealt with the problem that got you to that situation in the first place. And so uh, you, you've got that short-term gain, but it leads to the long-term pain of never fixing your health, never fixing your wealth, never fixing your relationships or whatever the challenge is for you. So sometimes doing that short-term effort gives you that long-term uh, benefit. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always been um, aiming to do that in so many different parts of my life. You know, th there'll be some days where I just think, I can't, I, can't, I just can't do it. I need to sit down and have a cookie watch something and not deal with this right now. And I will do it tomorrow. Uh, but I, I'm grateful for the fact that most of the time, I think even if I feel like it or not, I go for a run uh, in the morning, whether I feel like it or not, I, and I'm totally exhausted. I still take that time to spend 20 minutes with my children, playing cards with them or reading them a book before they go to bed, because I know that that effort long-term is going to build up trust in those relationships and so on. And the same goes with these values. Although I would say with doing, because I've done them so long uh, for such a long time now, 
doing the values and the vision piece, I actually really enjoy it. If I sometimes I'll think, okay, what I'm going to do is I will put on some music I really enjoy. I'm going to sit in my favorite place in my house, which during the summer might be in the garden. So I might listen to some nice music or even just listen to the birds and, and just allow myself to go into a dreamlike state of connecting with myself and thinking about the future. And it can be so enjoyable to do it. But I've got to the point now where every time I open up a, like a new notepad, I, the first page, I just automatically write down, these are my values. This is my vision story. And that would take me, you know, less than 10 minutes. And it feels enjoyable. It makes me think, great. I now know where I want to go for this week, this, you know, the next couple of months, I'm, I'm all set. So, uh, yeah, sometimes just putting in that effort, you get the gain, uh, long-term. For sure. For sure. Any other insights from the book that you'd like to offer this point? Because there's something else kind of separate to the book I want to ask before, um, before the end of the conversation. But is there anything else from the book that you'd, that you'd love to share with the audience? Uh, I think, um, you know, th there's, there's so much that I aim to put into this book to help people, which is essentially around, uh, you know, if, if you really want to have a positive impact, you work on yourself first, which is mm. to become the rock in the storm, to, to be really proud of who you are and where you want to go. Then you need to think about, well, how am I going to influence the other people around me? Because often it starts to go wrong where you think I'm now interacting with other human beings and this is challenging. So I'd always say, you know, it's worthwhile then thinking about working on your interaction skills. What are you going to do in your body language, your tone of voice, your 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 words, your questioning skills, your listening skills. Just think, what is that interaction like? And really build up your skills uh, in that area. And then the third area that I that I talked about is long term. How are you genuinely going to keep this going? Because I'm aware that sometimes people read a book and go, "Oh, that was inspiring." Um, let me go and have a cup of tea and they sort of put it down uh, or they make a new year's resolution. They give up by January 3rd or, or something. So I thought, how do I make sure that people keep going long-term? So one of the other pieces that I put down there was to, uh, to remember two things, which is to remember, um, to think about pivotal actions you can take in your life and pedestrian actions that will help you long-term have the impact you want to have. And what that means is I've seen some people who just focus on pivotal things where they think, if only I could just get interviewed by Oprah, then suddenly I'd sell all the books I want to sell and I'd be as influential as I want to be. And it just takes that one thing. And that, that what they're not doing is to build up all the actions that would lead you inevitably to getting that opportunity. There are other people I notice who just had their head down, nose to the grindstone, and are working really, really hard, thinking, you know, if I work hard enough, then I'll be worthy of greater success in whatever they're looking for success in. And they put, put their head up in five years and think, I feel like I'm still where I was five years ago, but let me just put my head yeah. down and work harder and harder. And it's the combination of those two things that I've noticed is you know what gives people success. So I, I give the example. I think I mentioned it in, in the book, but you, you know my wife, uh, plant power doctor. She occasionally people have asked her, "How did you get that opportunity?" Like she was on the Rich Roll podcast, uh, which is a great opportunity that people in her field would like to have. And uh, you know, it, it, it came as a pivotal event for her because it, you know it really increased her following and her opportunities because of it. But it came up because she was doing the pedestrian things and thinking about pivotal things. So she was thinking every day she wanted to put out good content for people, be inspiring, be a, a force for good that made it inevitable that more of those opportunities would come up. And she was also thinking, you know, what would be a good opportunity that I could lift my impact by uh, reaching a bigger audience sometimes? So it's the cum culmination of those two pieces that needs to come together. So I'd always say to people, yes, working hard is important, 
but put your head up and think what, what would the, be the pivotal events and don't expect a pivotal event to come to your life unless you put the effort in to get there. The, the media loves the ten, uh, the overnight success story, which is often course, yeah. a 10-year overnight success story, but nobody wants to hear about the 10 years. They want the montage sequence that happens in a movie where the person says, I'm going to get well, I'm going to get fit. And you know, th- three minutes later, they've played one song in the movie and the person's now the greatest version of themselves. But that three minutes, you've got to be, be aware, it could be three years or it could be longer than that. So uh, putting in the time to earn those big opportunities is key. Yeah. I feel like it's a, it's like an open water swimmer, you know, head down, swimming as fast as you can. And then you can look up and you're like, and this has happened to me before, by the way, <laughs> if I look up and the boy that you're aiming for is just like a hundred meters in the other direction, you're like, oh man. But then <laughs> yeah. of course you can't spend your whole time with your head up, like looking at the boy because that's not as efficient either. So this, yeah. this balance, I really like that you, you talk about pivotal and pedestrian. I love that. Um, yeah. It's really, yeah, it's really interesting. In another way to analogy. I, I used to do uh, triathlons and I, and I know exactly exactly what oh, okay. you're talking about with that there you sense go. of, there you, go. you know, you're putting in the effort, but you do want to just double check. Have I, like, has the tide pulled me away from where I'm supposed yeah. to be going? So, yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. You can have that, if you like, for the second edition of your book. Towards the beginning of what you were just um, saying, it was uh, is around communication and body language. And so that leads me really nicely to the, the final question uh, or the final kind of topic that I want to talk to you about, which is public speaking. Because in mm. your in the bio on your website, you um, you kind of uh, you, you say on it that you are um, an introvert on the autism spectrum, and that I, I think, if I'm understanding correctly, that you found public speaking that side of things difficult. Is, am I right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as a child, I was really, um, I was really challenged with with communication. I was very shy, um, and right. I didn't find out until sort of in my twenties that I was highly introvert, and I didn't find out that I'm autistic until last year. So that's been sort of a long time coming to, to figure that out. But I was aware of challenges, and so um, <laughs> I remember, for example, that uh, I, I realized at an early age that acting was a place where was a really good outlet for me because I could become someone else and I knew what words to say because they were written down and I knew where I was supposed to stand. So I didn't have to figure right, those things yeah. out. When I, when I was being myself, I had to figure out what words will I say and how will I stand and what's the other person going to say? And it's very challenging, but acting was good. But, but you know, the fact that I wanted to act didn't mean that I necessarily got the opportunities. So I can remember multiple times when like I wrote down when I was at uh, sort of um, junior school, or middle school, I'd written down that I wanted to audition for the school play. And the, the teachers had like taken my name off the list. They just thought, well, he's going to be terrible. Why would we give him an audition? I had to put my hand up and go, so, wait, uh, why didn't I get a chance? Well, you're not the kind of person that would be able to do this sort of thing. And I had to you know, push myself forward and go, no, no, I, I can do those things. Um, but you know, even so, you know, going through my, like my sort of high school years, I found that I was nervous around communication, sort of wanted to put myself forwards here and there, but found it difficult to speak up, was really self-conscious. If the, if the teacher in English class called on me to read, which she barely ever did because she knew that I'd get self-conscious, I'd then be you know, sweating profusely and so on. So this was a big challenge for me. Um, but you know, I realized late, uh, you know, towards the end of high school years, sort of 17, 18, that I really wanted to improve this, that this was going to be important in my life, that I wasn't going to get very far if I wasn't a good communicator. It could hold me back in interviews, presentations, anything that I wanted to do in my life and in my personal life in building relationships. 
Uh, and so I, I pursued it and I decided I, I read somewhere like uh, around 200 books on uh, communication on things like, you know, body language and breathing and storytelling and stage presence and anything I could find around it that I was curious about. Even if I only got one idea from a book, I thought, oh, that's a new one. I didn't, I haven't heard that one before and was pursuing that. I also then studied acting at a London acting school for, for three years, which to come back to what I mentioned earlier was so wonderful because I got to spend so much time where someone would say, here's the words and here's where you should stand. And then I could feel free, more free to be able to communicate and express myself. <laughs> but then still, I did get the feedback from one coach who said, Richard, wh when you're not saying your line, what are you doing? I said, I'm just standing here. As she said, exactly. You're not supposed to be just standing there. You're still in the scene. Like people can still see you. You're in, on, in costume on stage. You have to imagine that you're really still in the event. I was like, oh yeah, okay. Acting when I'm not saying stuff. Okay, fine. Um, but it was an amazing experience for me. And then, you know, like I say, my business sort of took off as a hobby and I would be so uh, nervous, so stressed before each of the initial events that I did sweating in the way up there uh, to, to do the event and just hoping that I would get through it and not not be seen to be nervous. I then tried hypnosis to increase my confidence and so on. But eventually what I figured out is there were certain actions I could take in the preparation with my mindset and certain actions that I could take when I was speaking to other people that would lead me to be a more effective speaker, get a better reaction from them. And then that's what I began you know, teaching to my clients as well, who had been struggling to, uh, to communicate, whether it was doing a speech or, or communicating in sort of a one-to-one -one situation. And because I found them so impactful, I then you know, put them into research uh, as a project that was published in the, um, the journal Psychology and also in mm -hmm. these books to help people with those pieces that I found along the way that I wanted to pass on to others. Because I think it's something very common, isn't it, that people would like to improve it's a skill that people would like to get better at. So yeah. is there anything, is there any kind of pearls of wisdom from all that reading and all of your experience? Are there any key things that you could offer that could help? Yeah. Uh, so, so a few, th I mean, there's, there's so much <laughs> to share. Yeah. So I usually like, take people through a minimum of a two day workshop to take them through everything. Right. But here's like a little couple of nuggets for people to think of uh, that will definitely help. Firstly, I would say before you go into an interaction, I've talked about focusing on your values. The next piece that you can do is to focus on your breathing. And this is something I learned at acting school that fundamentally changes how you feel. So we had to learn how to cry on cue and how to laugh on cue. And beyond that, you know, our acting teachers would say, look, you know, breath, changes your feeling and also changes how people think you're feeling. And so if you gasp, <gasps> people think you're surprised. And if you sigh, oh, there's that sense of being depressed. And if you do it, it actually heads you in the direction of that emotion. So it works from the inside out or the outside in. And so if you focus on your breathing, just before you go into an important situation, you can focus on breathing the way you would be breathing if you were confident. And so by doing that, it allows you to settle any sense of nerves that are going on. Like you might have high clavicular breathing that's going to upset. No matter how, how good your meeting content is, your presentation or, or your, um, your, your lesson preparation has gone, if you're not feeling grounded, you're not going to be able to deliver it well. And so I get people to focus on their breathing. There's a few different breathing rhythms you can do. Uh, one that I particularly like is sometimes known as square breathing or box breathing. I get people to breathe in for a count of five, hold for five, breathe out for five and hold for two. And by doing that for about 90 seconds, you are uh, engaging diaphragmatic breathing. You're highly oxygenating the system that burns off adrenaline and it moves you from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. So you get to a state of rest and digest. So by doing that, you've then got a chance to go in and be a relatively 
uh, grounded, confident version of yourself. So, th- so that can be really key. So that's that's inward focus. Then when you go into an interaction, it's very important to have outward focus, which is to really connect with who's the person that's there and you know how are they doing right now. Uh, and I, I talk about this as you know a bit like surfing an ocean. So you could prepare yourself to do um, an amazing rock and roll speech where you're going to be jumping up and down and everyone's going to go crazy. And you don't know until just before you go on that the the person before you has just announced redundancies. Lots of people are losing their job. Everyone's feeling flat. And then you you jump up on the stage going, hey, everybody, let's celebrate. And it can go badly. That's like an exaggerated form. But you've got to really think, I I need to read the room. And I'm sure you need to do this as a uh, primary school teacher as well. You've got to go in and think, how is is the class feeling today? Because that's the ocean that I'm riding. I'm the surfer. They are the ocean. I need to feel. I need to be in tune with who they are. And the same goes in a one-to-one conversation. Who is this person? right now? How do I tune into this person and be here with them? Because it's that connection that matters more than anything you're going to say, more than anything in terms of your body language. You just got to think, what is the connection I've got here? And the final piece I'd say to people uh, to think about in terms of, you know, what you do with your body language, your words, your tone of voice is think, okay, this is where we are now. This is how the ocean feels right now. How do I want this person to feel by the end of this interaction? What feeling are we heading towards? Do I want them to feel concerned? Do I want them to feel excited? What is that feeling? And everything you do heads towards that goal. So, uh, and, and the reason that's so important is that, you know, we make decisions from the emotional part of our mind, uh, where we all think, you know, we're logical beings, but we use logic to back up how we emotionally feel we should make the decision. Uh, and so, uh, it, it's important to think about how do I want the emotions of the people in this room to, to be by the end of today or by the end of this hour's conversation. So once you've got those sort of few pieces in, in place, you can then start to build out things such as the structure of storytelling and your body language and, and everything else. Wow. That is so useful. Those three aspects are so useful. Um, I like the part about the breath work at the beginning, the idea that it, because breath work is so popular now, isn't it? it yeah. Isn't it? Um, and rightly so. But I like the idea that actors were, were at the forefront of this however many years ago <laughs> that they were talking about how our breath can, of course, affect how, how, how we're feeling. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, Richard, thank you so much for all the insights that you've, you've shared um today i've i've found it so interesting um and so powerful and so useful um i'll be sure to be going away to get clear on my values and also come up with that code word which i'll i'll let you know for sure <laughs> great oh yeah well, before i let you go that. i've got um oh, yeah cheers i've got um three quite quick fire questions um and then we'll kind of wrap up so the first question is what's one lesson that you wish you'd um have been taught when you were younger um, yeah, I think something that would have been certainly uh, valuable to me is to, to know that I could believe in my instincts around people. And I think that this, this was key for me, particularly because, you know, coming from a place of being uh, shy, uh, introvert, a bit awkward around people and autistic, it'd be one of those things that um, for, for a long time, I really questioned my instincts on people. And if other people said, no, no, no he's a good guy. No, no, you should like it. You, you, you should trust this person. But I was not feeling it inside. Sometimes I thought, well, maybe their instinct is better than mine. Maybe they can see this in a way that I couldn't. And my, my, my gut instinct around people has never actually failed me. But what I've done is failed my instinct where I haven't acted on it because I thought maybe somebody else can see something here that I can't. But my gut instincts around people, I found this, I've interviewed, I've had the privilege of hiring people, interviewing people across the years. There isn't anyone I've ever hired 
that isn't the person I thought they were in the first 30 seconds. Nobody has surprised me. Everyone has been that person. And sometimes people say, oh, I didn't do very well in that interview, or oh, I think I came across well. Your general essence as a human being will come across, you know, n- no matter what. And uh, so th- I-, I wanted to make sure that from an earlier age, I'd really trusted that there is a visceral instinct when you meet another human being of knowing whether or not they sort of meet the vibration of the kind of person that you want to be spending time with personally or professionally. What's one habit I can add to my day to help me feel great? Uh, so the habit that I like to suggest to people is to start your morning routine the day before. So uh, for, for me, starting the day well and priming yourself for a great day starts the moment that you wake up. But uh, you know, I was finding that in the chaos of the day and the chaos of having a household with children and a dog and there's you know different... Uh, agendas that are going on each and every day that suddenly I can be heading in the wrong direction and then it can turn into a bad day or a bad week. And so the habit that I encourage people to have is to think, what morning do I want to have tomorrow and start mm-hmm. that routine the night before? So every night for me at the moment, my habit is that I prepare a thermos of hot water with uh, half of a lemon squeezed into it which I'm going to have first thing in the morning. And so it's there for me. I don't have to worry about boiling the kettle or, you know, is the, is, is the, uh, the kitchen busy and I've woken up and I'm half asleep and then suddenly one of my children needs something from me and suddenly I snap because I hadn't thought about it and I'm not fully awake. So I don't need to do that. I, I know that immediately I've already got that uh, flask of hot warm water and lemon and I've also got a second flask, a cold flask of a smoothie with all of the nutrition that I want to take in in the morning. And so I set up that morning routine if I have the hot water and lemon, I go for a walk or a run, and then I have that smoothie and I feel fully awake. And during that, that walk that I have, I think about my values. I think about my vision story and I'm set up ready for the day so that it, it turns into the best day that it can be from that point. So, but to get there, I'd say start your morning routine the night before so that it's easy in the morning. And finally, if you could give everyone in the world one book, which book would you give them? Oh, this is, this is such a challenging question because I love books. Like you can see on the bookshelf but behind me here, yeah. I absolutely um, love books. And I, I thought about this when I received the, the, the question from you. I was thinking, well, you know, I, I wrote the book that I've written because if I could give people all the knowledge that I've gained from lots of different studies and other books and so on, I'd put them into a book and that, that's what that book would be. But I don't want to say my own book. So um, if I could give the world one book, I think that the book I would probably go with uh, would be uh, Robert McKee's book on story. And the reason being, uh, like he doesn't, he doesn't give his lectures anymore, but he's been giving them for years. And he's sort of seen as the godfather of storytelling in Hollywood. Uh, I've seen him in person a couple of times. I've interviewed him as well. And he's an extraordinary person and he's got this great heart uh, and, and he loves story. And the thing, the reason I would give it to people is just to, to understand uh, stories and their structure is a is a wonderful thing anyway. And you see every story you ever read or, or watch in future from a different light. But it's also about stories that have been created to help human beings process what it's like to be human. And so when you have a greater understanding of that, you can have a much greater understanding of yourself and you can apply, you know, what you've learned about uh, story into lots of different ways. But, you know, for, for me, learning his depth of knowledge about story was, uh, was a wonderful experience. Awesome. Right. Where can people buy your book? Uh, so the, the easiest thing to do is to go to liftyourimpact.com forward slash the book. 
And uh, on there, there's all the links for different places people can buy it from wherever they are in the world. And if people scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, they fill in a contact form. They just tick a box that says, give me the first 25 pages for free. And then they can get that first piece, which includes the bit around values and code words that we were talking about uh, a little bit earlier on for people to get that taster. So that's the best place to go. And then they can find me on social media at Richard Newman Speaks on on Instagram or on, uh, uh, on LinkedIn, Richard Newman from Body Talk. That's great. Right. Well, again, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to, to staying in touch and sharing this episode very soon. Cheers, man. Great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you found my conversation with Richard insightful. If you did enjoy the episode, please share it with friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it helpful. And you can also support the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thank you again, and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.